You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good evening, everybody. You guys seem a little quiet out there tonight. It's good to have you guys back. I missed you all last weekend. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon even noticed last week when you were gone. But it's really cool. We both commented last Saturday night how neat it is to have so many teens and adults that travel with our teens that when they're out of town, we, we feel their absence. And, and we did. We missed you, and it's good to have you back. And the same is true for every one of you. I, I hope you know how much your presence matters. Your, your presence, those that are online with us, those comments that you put in there to let us know that you're with us and, and uh, listening and, and receiving, and certainly those of you in the room. It's, it's so good to see you, especially those of you that, that are new to MCC. We're so glad that you're here. I want you to grab your Bible, and I want you to turn a couple of places. The first place we're going to be is Luke chapter 5. We're going to be there for just, or Luke chapter 6, excuse me, in verse 38. We're going to be there for just a minute, and then we're going to flip back to our Old Testament to the book of 1 Kings. So you can kind of find 1 Kings there, and I'll give you more detail here in just a minute. Solomon gives us this lesson learned in the book of Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, he says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Now this lesson that we're looking at tonight is seen throughout Scripture from the very beginning to this time that we live in today. Every generation of believers who've applied this principle to their life, their church attendance, their giving financially, their relationships and how that they give to others. When they give generously, when we give generously, when we give generously of our time and resources, what happens? We receive generously. And when we don't, when we hold back, when we're one of those once a monthers, right? When we hold back, we experience famine. We experience sometimes a drought in our life, in our relationships, even our relationship with God. It's this principle of reaping what we sow. How many of you have heard that principle over the years? Paul wrote, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Well, Jesus further explains this idea in Luke chapter 6, where I had you turn tonight. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I want you to look in the preceding Verses, the sentences ahead of this that we've quoted tonight. And what you're going to see is that this lesson that Jesus gives us sits right in the middle of his teaching on what? Forgiveness. It's not just about money. In fact, he says nothing about money until he gets to this statement. Up until this point, he's talked about granting forgiveness, showing mercy, judging others, peace in our lives. And so what he's saying here is that when we grant forgiveness, when we grant forgiveness, 
in accordance to his command, not only, not only will we know the power of forgiveness in our lives, but we will know it in abundance. And you say, well, I've got people who hold a grudge against me in my life. Well, you need to expand your vision of what living in forgiveness means. When we give, when we trust God, when we give him our trust, we will know peace and abundance in our life. When you give first what God has asked of you, he will supply you with more. The more you give, the more he returns. Now, with this idea in mind, with this lesson, I want us to go to one of my favorite passages in the book of 1 Kings. You're going to find it in chapter 17. And this is very familiar. It's a passage that I've used probably five times over the last 15 years here, if not more. But 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7. And the reason why I love it is because it's not a parable. It's not something made up as an illustration. It's not a story. We often refer to things in the Bible as a story. But, but this is an account. This is a true-to-life event that's happened and recorded for us. And here in 1 Kings chapter 17, the first thing that we see is that there is an economic recession within God's nation, Israel. It's, it's a recurring theme. God's people stop following his commands, start giving their attention, their worship to other things other than him. And what does he do? He withholds his blessing in those very areas that the people have begun to worship. In this case, they began worshiping an inanimate God named Baal. They believed that Baal was responsible for the rain that they needed for their crops. Baal was responsible for the good crops that would produce the grain that they had. And we know what? We know that God is the one who determines the weather. We know that God is the one who ultimately provides for us. And so what does God do? God stops the rain. God stops the provision for what would be not just a week or a month, but three years. He puts a hold on those things. And where we pick up right now, they are about six months into this. The nation's six months into this drought, and they are thirsty. And 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7 says, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The last source of water was gone. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Now, him is referring to Elijah, Elijah the prophet, Elijah the spokesman of God, Elijah the preacher. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there collecting sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring a little water in a jar so that I can have a drink? Now, no rain for six months. No water. And what does Elijah ask for? A Coke? He asked for water. He asked for the very thing that they are without. Verse 11 says that she was on her way to go and get it, and he called out again. He said, hey, hold on. Bring me, when you bring that water, 
bring me some, some bread. I'd really like to have some homemade bread with that salted butter on it. Would you do that for me? And she responds to him, and notice some of the words that she says. She says, as surely as your God. What's that tell us? She's not a believer. So a believer is sent to an unbeliever for provision. I want you to keep that in mind. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a jug. This was before Walmart came to their community. You had to make the bread. She said, I'm gathering a few sticks to take home so that I can have a fire in the oven, make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Didn't have much confidence in her cooking ability, did she? What's she saying here? She's saying this is the last meal that we have. We're going to eat this, the last of our supplies, this is the last of our food, and you're asking for it? Now, first, these details seem outlandish. Uh, you know, sometimes the Bible feels that way to us. It feels so out of touch. It, it feels like the examples in there are things that, that we just wouldn't experience in our life. I mean, can you imagine? We've run out of toilet paper before, but who's run out of flour and oil? But this widow, this widow with one son and no other children, this is the only family she has. They're in a drought. They're in a recession. Times are tough. And the reality is that most of the time when you and I are asked to give something, to give something that we feel is very, very hard to come by, well, this story begins to make more sense. When someone asks you for forgiveness, when someone asks you to show mercy, when you go to reconcile a relationship, to give financially to God, many times we find ourselves right in the middle of a drought. And if we look at this example, and if we look at our own lives, it's a drought that we many times have brought on to ourselves ourselves individually, ourselves as a nation, just like the nation of Israel. So what's God doing in sending Elijah to this widow? Well, God's first of all sending Elijah to this widow so that he can be taken care of. God's going to use this woman to feed him, to give him something to drink. But more importantly, more importantly, God sends Elijah to this widow so that God can give something to her. And so I want you to write this down. Here's the first, here's the first point to this lesson that we're learning tonight. Today's famine, whatever that is for you, relationship famine, forgiveness famine, financial famine, today's famine is an opportunity for me to put my life in biblical Order. What's that mean, biblical order? That means that we align our lives with the will of God in whatever area it is that we're experiencing famine in. What he says, right, we do. Famine is an opportunity for me to put my life in biblical order so that God can move in my life. And so the charge tonight is measure wisely. 
Think about your next move. Today, whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether someone needing a word of encouragement from you, but, but you're short on time, right? Giving a tithe back to God, but you're so indebted, you yourself have nothing left by the weekend to give. Forgiveness. You've been screwed over so many times. The last thing you're going to do is forgive this person. Well, God's giving you an opportunity. You know why most people don't experience God in their life? Why some people just, they just never really can see him doing anything. Anybody got any ideas? I, I was at church last Wednesday night, had the privilege of speaking at a, at a church up the road uh, for them, for their Wednesday night program. And the preacher there said, now ask them lots of questions because they love to talk back. And they did. Man, I, I was like, I'm not going to ask them any more questions. We'll be here all night. Why? Why do most people never experience God moving in their life? Why do most people never experience God's provision? Because we rarely allow him a place in our situation. We try to cover it ourselves. We rarely allow God in our life to do much of anything other than when we go to him with a special request, like, give me a boyfriend now. Now, how can you ever expect God to do something in your marriage or in your children, in your finances, if you won't allow him in? And allowing him in means that you align your life with his precepts. You align your life with his teaching, with his values, with his command. Elijah shows up and the widow says, we're about to die. We only have one meal left. And, and Elijah says, okay, listen, give God First, give to him first, and then take care of yourselves, right? Go ahead, measure out the flour, measure out the oil, but make a cake for me first. Now, how would you measure out the flour and the oil if you were that lady? Well, you would make the smallest piece of bread you've ever seen in your life. I would, right? I'd just take a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and mix it together. It'd be like one of those little pancakes, right? Put it in the oven, be done in two minutes. Is that how you would do it? I bet most of us would, except we're not talking about bread. We're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about mercy. We're talking about our first fruits when we're in famine. Do you pull out the smallest measure? Do you do just what's necessary to check the box? Or do you measure it out the way that you would if you knew whatever measure you were about to use, it's the same measure that God will use when giving you the same thing? It makes a difference. God gives her an opportunity to put him first so that he can do what he's promised. And verse 16 says that when she did, when she in faith put God first in her provision, she received supernatural provision in order to do what God asked her to do. Did you follow me there? I, I mean, we're talking about bread here. No. We're talking about the real things in life. That when we finally decide to put him first, right? When we finally do it in a way that we understand that how 
whatever measure we use. We use one fist, we use two hands together. That's the same way it's going to be provided back. Here's the example, verse 16. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. With the same measure she used, what did God do? She took that same, he took that same measure, he pressed it down, he shook it together, and he even overflowed it. I think it's so neat that she never ran out. Not, not even for a second. It wasn't like she took the empty jar in and had to do a bunch of Hail Marys or something to get it filled back up. As she poured it out, God was pouring it in faster than she could pour it out. Can you imagine for just a minute your life that way? So few of us can. God didn't need this widow to provide for Elijah. He could have provided a myriad of ways. We've seen him provide already in his life with a raven, with a brook, with a stream. Please hear me. God doesn't need what he's asking of you. But he wants to provide for you. And so he asks you to let go first. Write this down for me. God wants to provide for me. He wants to provide for you. But you must do it his way. You have to do it his way. He wants to provide a healthy relationship with your your children. But that means, parents, that you're going to have to discipline them while they're young. And you're going to have to say ugly things to you like, I hate you. Or you're a terrible mom. You don't understand. So that one day you can have a friendship with them. That's what God commands you to do. Train a child in the way he should go. Spare the rod, spoil the child. But we get it backwards. We want to do it our ways. We want to be our friend when they're little and then they're jacked up when they're teenagers or adults. God wants to provide for you, but you have to do it his way. He wants wants you to have resources for the work that he's planned for you to do. But that means that you have to honor him with your work. It means that when he provides an income for you, you have to tithe on that work. He wants to provide you a mate. He wants to provide you a wife or a husband with which you can serve him. You don't believe me? Why did he pick Eve for Adam? He set it up from the very beginning. This is how it's supposed to work. He provides our partner. We don't have to hunt them down. We don't have to lasso them like some of you do and pig time and bring them in and hope that one day they'll love you. No. He wants to provide. But what does that mean? You're going to have to honor him first. You're going to have to do it his way. Solomon said there's a way that seems right to man. Anybody there? You know, you know the way that just seems right to you. Right? When it comes to love, I feel like you guys want to know about love tonight. All right? Is that true? Yeah. No? No, Luke? Listen. Luke, your brother's going to tell you. He's going to tell you this. He's going to say, Luke, one of these days you're going to look a girl in the eye and you're going to feel a tingle from your toes all the way up to your thigh. Right? But that's not how it works. <laughs> He's like, let me feel that tingle. (laughs) 
There's a way that seems right to your brother, to man. But listen, in the end, in the end, Solomon says, it leads to what? It leads to death. It leads to death. But God says, God says, I've got a way for you. In fact, I am the way for you. And what does he offer you there? Where does it lead you? Anybody? Death? Does it lead you to death? It leads you to life. It leads you to life. Not only did God want to provide for this widow right away with flour and oil that she needed in that moment, but some of you know what happens next. He wanted to provide for her in a more dire moment that she was in that made a piece of bread and a drink of water look like nothing. It was a moment when that one son that she had died. She did what God asked her to do, and her son died. And God was able to provide for her again. Look at verse 21. Then he, he's talking about Elijah, stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he lived. Now let me ask you in verse 9. When God sent Elijah to the widow in Zarephath, did God know that the widow's son was sick and was going to die? Did the widow know? No. But God did. Did God know that she only had one meal left and even if she got more food, her son was still going to die? Yes. And so he sent a man of God. He sent his word through a man of God to her. He sent Elijah to let her know that there's only what? One God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? He's not Baal. In fact, we see in this same, this same account, right, that Baal was called upon and called upon and called upon and couldn't do anything. Why? Because he's a piece of stone. He's nothing. When was the last time that you really had to trust God and you did things his way? I, I want you to just right now. You guys are busy with phones and stuff, but, but take a minute. And I want you to do it right now. I want you to, I was talking to the adults that had the phones. I want you to think about that one time that you did things God's way. Can, can you think of it? Was it even in the last week that you did things his way, right? I, I was at a restaurant last night. People I run into from my past people that have done terrible things behind my back and then, and then pretend to be my best friend. My two daughters were sitting there watching. I had a choice. I, boy, I thought of all the things that I could say. Or, or I could do it God's way, show kindness and show love. When, when was the last time that you did things his way? When was the last time you granted forgiveness, that real forgiveness? You, the kind of forgiveness where you don't go back and pick up the bitterness the next week or the next day. But when was the last time you humbled yourself with your friend and explained why you're hurting instead of just lashing out at them? When was the last time? 
See, the more you trust him, the more trust he returns. The more you give him, the more he gives you to give again. The more humility you show, the more he lifts you up. Now, I want you to hold your place there. Put your friend's pen in there or something. And I want you to turn all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4. And I want us to go all the way back. And while you're turning there, let me ask you two, two questions. You, you can turn and listen. The first question is this. If God said, hey, if you pass judgment on someone else, right? If I look at Lily and I say, Lily, because Lily has curly hair, she must be a terrible, terrible student at school. All she does is sit and spin her hair, right? Now, I know, I know the opposite's true about her. But if I pass judgment on her, if God says, if I pass judgment on her, then I will be judged the same way. Would, would you believe him? Because that's what he says in his word. He says, do not be judged, and, and you will not be judged. Don't condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, what if God says, you give me the first 10%? right? You thank me. You trust me with the first 10%. And if you do, not only will I return that to you, but you're going to need a wheelbarrow to carry what I return to you back to your house. And you know what? I'll also stand at your doorway and I'll keep Satan out of your house. If God said that to you, would you do it? Really? Would you? Because he said it. He said it in Malachi. He said, see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven so much that you won't be able to carry what I give to you. And the devourer, Satan, he will stop destroying your crops. He won't be able to touch you. But yet, most of us would still just think about it, even though it's right there in God's word. It's the same reason why we won't, don't want to trust God with his plans for relationship or health or time or the other things that we treasure in life. Well, here in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, here's the reason why. It says, Adam lay with his wife Eve. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a rancher and Cain... Cain was a farmer. In the course of time, verse 3 says, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel brought fat portions from the same, from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, anybody pick up on this? What, what's the difference between bringing some and bringing a portion of the best? It's all the difference in the world, Right? And so we go on to read, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Cain was angry. His face was downcast. It was written all over him. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And God called it right there, sin's crouching at your door. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Why did God accept Abel's offering and he didn't accept Cain's? 
Because Abel brought the firstborn. He aligned himself with what God has commanded. Cain didn't bring the first fruits. He brought some of the fruits, but not the first. Why do I have so much trouble? Why do you have so much trouble trusting God's ways over your ways? Because we have the heart of Cain. We do. How do we know what's in Cain's heart? It's in the back of your Bible in a little book called Jude. Probably never heard of it. There's only one chapter. There's several verses. Verse 11 says, Woe to them that have taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Three men. Three men who lived as they pleased and destroyed their life. And all three represent greed and rebellion. Why do we struggle with the measure that we use? Greed and rebellion. That's the bottom line. We want what we want and we're going to do it our way. And that's what Cain did. These aren't boys. These are grown men. They both have businesses, right? One's a farmer. One has herds of livestock. And Cain said, I'll bring it when I want and I'll bring what I want. And we say, oh, I'd, never, I'd never be that bold to God. If God asked me for something, I would give it to him. Yet I've heard so many times, I'll honor my I'll honor my husband when he decides to be honorable. I'll love my wife when she stops treating me like hired help. I'll be there when I get through this tough spot, when I get through with this semester, when, when the kids are a little bit older, when it's convenient for me. All the church wants is, is money. But let's just say for a moment that Cain didn't know any better when he offered the Lord his sacrifice in his own way. Well, God came to him and gave him a chance. He says in verse 5, what are you upset about? Why, why is your face all down? Why are you mad? If you do it the way I tell you to, okay, let, let's say you didn't know. From now on, you need to understand. But you see what Cain did? He just got bitter and began to shift the blame, and he opened the door to sin and some really damning consequences. He killed his own brother. And the truth is, a lot of us do the same thing. Proverbs 19.3 says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they get angry with God. Now back to 1 Kings 17. You know, it wouldn't have taken any faith at all for this widow to say, well, let me make something for me and my son first. It doesn't take any faith, does it? For her to take care of her and her son first, and then if there's something left over, then she would do what God said with it. That doesn't take any faith. But it took a lot of faith for her to take that little bit that she had, right, and offer it to God first, did what he said first, trusting that he would provide. It takes faith to take a risk and put God first. It takes faith to believe that God's ways are better than our ways. It doesn't take faith to go with the popular, popular ways of the world. It takes faith to take a risk and put him first. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and what? All these things will be given to you as well. If God is first in my life, everything else will come into order. But if God is not first in my life, nothing will come 
into order. So we started out tonight with this statement, right? All throughout Scripture, we're told to measure wisely. Why? Why does it matter to measure wisely? Well, well it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? <laughs> because with the measure we use... God will use that same measure if we're stingy with forgiveness. What, what's going to happen? We're, we're going to struggle with unforgiveness in our lives. We're stingy with grace. Well, don't expect grace to be given freely to you. Why such a big deal? Why such a big deal? Because when it came to your life and mine, when the roles were turned, and God gave first, what size measure did he use? I'm talking about when he bought you and I. I'm talking about when, before we even had the opportunity to sin, before we even had the opportunity to reject him, God knew that we would, and yet what did he do? He got out the biggest measure that he had, Jesus Christ, and he gave him for us. And what does he ask from us? What's all this about? He asks for our life, our little bitty life, <laughs> our little life that consists of, if you're, if you're blessed, 90 years. The Bible says you're blessed to have 60 or 70 years of life. He takes that little bitty life that we give him and he packs it down and he shakes it together and he runs it over for what? For all eternity. For all eternity. That's why it's so important to learn now how to measure wisely. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. And thank you for showing us, Lord, through such extreme examples sometimes of just how seriously you take this subject of trusting you and giving back to you and showing mercy and forgiveness and kindness towards others. Uh, Father, sometimes we just feel like if we reject it, then, then we're not held to it. Well, we're held to it whether we accept it or not. And so, Father, tonight, I, I accept this. You know I've accepted it for quite a while now. It, it's been tough. But Lord, the way that you've provided back in return, the way that you've blessed the relationship that you gave me with, with my spouse for life, <laughs> Father, the way that you've provided for us, Father, the way that you have, you've granted us such forgiveness of others when when I've been such a fool. But Lord, times like last night when I can let go, then someone else with a much bigger issue lets, lets go for me and doesn't hold it over my head. But Lord, most of all, you really, you really showed yourself when you got out your measure for us and you gave us Jesus Christ. And so tonight, Help us. Help us to put away the teaspoon. Help us to put away the, the cup. Lord, let us get out the wheelbarrow. Let us throw ourselves in. Surrender ourselves to you. 
our little life that you, that you would hand us back what you promised, the big life in your house forever, your presence with us right now today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to make that exchange tonight, I'll meet you right here. Help you take your next step to do that.